morning, Foundry. Let me hear it from the 11.15 today. Are we in the house? Yeah, we are. Everyone's still alive after the flooding of a couple weeks ago and the coronavirus of right now, and who knows what else could happen in the coming weeks. But we are here right now, and that's what matters. It's good to be here with you today. For those of you uh, who just heard about the Growth Weekend for the first time, coming up in two weeks, we got that Growth Weekend. Maybe you've been going through life and you're thinking, hey, I want to I want to take some time and really have a chance to grow in my faith. Or maybe you're just looking for a way to uh, to draw closer to God. The Growth Weekend is going to be one of the best ways to do that. 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. on two weeks from now, two weeks from yesterday, we're going to have an awesome time. Men will be here, women in Dayspring, our mother church. And so if you're interested in that, write it down, mark it on your red card. We want everybody to be here and get to experience what God is going to do in us during that time. We are on our final week of Greater Than, and this is going to be a good, good one. Greater Than has been us going through the book of Hebrews and looking at what God has to teach us there about how Jesus is greater than everything else, and then how we got to live in light of that. What does it mean for us to live if Jesus is greater than? So if you got your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to pick it up in verse 4. So Hebrews chapter 12, verse 4, and this is what God's Word has to say to us today. In your struggle against sin... You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, my son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you're not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. You're not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you so much for your word, which speaks truth and power into our lives. Thank you for bringing each person here today. Thank you for what you brought us through this past week. And thank you, Lord, for how you're going to work in us right now to prepare us for this coming week and what's ahead. Lord, I pray that, that what you speak to us today would sink deeply into our hearts, would not leave us the same, but would do something in us we can't do on our own, that would take us further spiritually, would take us further relationally, would take us further in our hearts and minds than we could ever get on our own. And we know it's only by your grace that can happen. And so we pray this in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Have you ever been very aware in life that you were related to your mom or your dad? Like something happens and you just think, okay, I am his son, I am her daughter, I am related to them. And you just were absolutely certain of it. I think for a lot of us that happens. I've been told as you get older and older, it happens more. Because we typically know our parents as what, 30, 40, 50, 60 year olds. And so as you get older and you start hitting the 40, 50, 60, you're like, okay, I am my father. And you just got to own up to it and be okay with that. One time I went on a camping trip with my dad. It was, it was Boy Scouts, but I wasn't in Boy Scouts yet, so we went out there. And I was nine years old, and my dad and I are sharing a tent, kind of those fun father-son experiences. And so we lay down to go to bed. 
And then suddenly there's, there's this noise and these, these Boy Scouts are acting up. And so my dad goes out there to see what's going on. And he finds one of them named Timothy. Now, Timothy was the son of one of my dad's really good friends. And so my dad's like, hey, I'm going to take care of Timothy tonight. And we need to separate him from these other guys. So he brings him back to our tent. Now, there's only room for two of us in the tent. So Timothy gets to share the tent with me. And my dad sleeps outside. Timothy uh, was, was crying. He was angry. He was frustrated. He wasn't used to someone telling him what to do. His parents kind of let him do whatever. And so he's just angry and ticked off that someone's making him do it. I'm just a little nine-year-old lad just over here trying to find my happy place and just pretend like none of this is happening. And Timothy, at one point during the night, decides that he is going to escape and run away. And so he tries to make it out of the tent and tries to get through. The, the thing he doesn't realize, or maybe he does, is my dad's right outside the tent. So my dad just gets on his knees and is like, yo, what you doing, Timothy? And Timothy, I remember this as a nine-year-old kid looking over, and Timothy is hitting my dad in my dad's chest. Now, not all of you know my dad. My dad's a very large man, six foot two, um, used to be an all-American athlete. Like, he can take whatever comes his way. And I remember looking over and seeing Timothy hitting my dad and thinking, oh, no, I'm going to be a witness of a homicide tonight. <laughs> like, I, wrong place, wrong time. My dad's going to kill him. And, and I knew because my dad would kill me. If I had done that to my dad, it would be lights out for Elijah. Like, you'd have to bring the dogs out to try to find my body in those woods because I'd be dead and I'd be disposed of. And I see Timothy hitting my dad, and my dad very gently and graciously just stops Timothy and makes sure he goes to sleep. And I knew in that moment, Timothy's not my dad's son. I'm my dad's son. How did I know that? Because my dad would have killed me. I just knew it. Like, my dad would have killed me. There's a difference in the way my dad would have treated me from how he treated Timothy. Now, in, this, in the same way, this passage we read today says that God disciplines us because we are his children. Now, now discipline's not fun. We don't like going through discipline. But we're told in this passage that we go through things in life. We go through hardship and suffering and pain, not despite God being there, but because God is there. Because God is your dad, he's your father, you will go through hard things. There are three reasons biblically why you go through bad stuff, why bad things come. The first reason is because we live in a broken world. And there are natural causes that come our way. So maybe it's something like the flooding. That's a natural thing that takes place. And a lot of people had their houses ruined because of flooding. That's a natural cause. You know what else is a natural cause? You, okay? So you have a great capacity to ruin your life. And a lot of times the bad stuff that comes in our lives is because we did it. Uh, you know, the, the person who keeps on, like, flushing their, their phone down the toilet. It's like, hey, yo, God's not punishing you. You just need to learn how not to try to text or Instagram while you're on the toilet. You know what I'm saying? Anybody with me on that? No, because you all do it. Okay, so you're not with me. Sometimes we cause things in our lives. Uh, but, but those are natural causes. And the Bible talks a lot about natural causes. Things, things happen naturally. We live in a broken world. We're broken people. Hardship comes through natural causes. The second way hardship comes in our lives biblically is Satan can attack us. Now, Satan is a very real spiritual being. He's not equal with God. He's nowhere close to being equal with God, but he's a powerful, evil spiritual being who wants to destroy you because God loves you. And so Satan can attack us, and he can do things to us. He can attack us physically, attack the things around us. There's stories in Scripture of him destroying all of people's possessions. That's the other reason why bad stuff Hard times can happen in our lives. Now, those are typically, and all the time I've spent in church, the two ways that people have talked about stuff happening. 
Something hard happens. It's one of those two things, natural causes or Satan attacking you. But scripture teaches us there is a third reason why bad things happen, why hard times come. Why is it? Because God is bringing his discipline into our lives. Now, now I have spent most of my life in church, and I have never, ever, ever heard a message on God's discipline. I've never heard that sometimes hard things happen because God is coming in and disciplining you. But that is what Scripture teaches. It doesn't teach that he causes everything bad in your life. But it teaches that there are times God comes in and brings his discipline in your life. And the reality is for us as humans, it's often not always clear what's happening. So like something bad could happen in your life. And it's not always clear. Is that Satan attacking me? Is that God's discipline? Is that a natural cause? It's not always clear. So here's what we're told to do in chapter 12, verse 7, what we just read. Endure hardship as discipline. So when hardship comes into your life, treat it like it's God's discipline. If something hard happens, you're suffering, you're going through a tough time, treat it like God's discipline for you. God is treating you as his children, it says, for what children are not disciplined by their father. Now, for a lot of us, we think, when we think discipline, we think punishment. We think, if I'm being disciplined, I'm being punished for something wrong I did. But that's entirely wrong. That's a completely the wrong way of looking at it. The Greek word for discipline is paideia. So I turn to, turn to someone next to you and say paideia. Paideia. That, that was not nearly strong enough. Say paideia. Like you mean it. Paideia means discipline, but what it really means is instruction or correction. Okay, so it's different than just sitting someone down and teaching them a lesson, but it's, it's teaching them through life, through what you're doing, that, that how they should live and correcting them and disciplining them. So it's actually a really good thing. The word paideia in the Greek is, is conne directly connected to the word for child. The word for child is paideia. You hear the connection? Paideia, paideia. There's only one letter difference. And so there's this connection that we don't see in the English, but that the author's trying to show us between discipline and being a child. When you are disciplined, it's you becoming who your parents desires for you to be. And so you are disciplined. And it says in verse 8, if you're not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, but if you're not disciplined, then you're not legitimate. You're not true sons and daughters at all. How do you know you're a son and daughter of God? Because you're disciplined. Can you help me out, Lindsay, here with, with my, my prop today? This is an authentic, the only one in existence today, worth a lot of money. This is an authentic Friedemann family board, okay? We call this the board. It wasn't a paddle, it was a board. Paddle is not nearly strong enough. I think a paddle, I think a ping pong paddle. This is more like a two by four. Trust me, I've been hit by it. This, uh, it has, this has two nice little dimples in it, just the size of nine-year-old Elijah's buttocks, okay? And this is what I experienced a whole lot. I was spanked more than any of the other kids in my family. Uh, whether or not I deserved it, I was. And my dad was the one who did most of the spanking. I've already told you about my dad, right? He's all-American athlete, That's, and he knows how to swing a baseball bat, which means... He knows how to swing a paddle. Now, now, some of us, some of you here, in fact, I know this because I've shown this to some of you before. You see this and you're like, oh, that would really be bad if there were holes in it. I don't want to hear you saying how bad it could have been, okay? That's like seeing a baseball bat and being like, if you drilled some holes in that, it would be worse. Until you've been hit by it, I don't want to hear any sort of smack talk from you about what would be worse or not. This was terrible, but it's also sadistic. You see, it's, it's, uh, it's not just a board. It's, it's a board, but it's, it's been like sanded down. Now, like, 
it, it took a lot of intentionality to just be like, hey, we're going to create this thing to hit children with, and we're going to sand it down, you know, just so the person swinging it doesn't get splinters. The other sadistic <laughs> thing about this, notice they didn't sand this part down. That was my backside that sanded this part down. It was just the edges they sanded down. The other sadistic thing about this is that the same guy who made our swing set for us growing up made this board. Yeah, it's like one of them feels a lot better than the other. And so I got spanked by this a whole lot. And my dad knew how to swing it. It wasn't, now my mom, you know, your mom, you might go through this, maybe your mom would spank you, and you'd have to learn how to be like, oh, that hurts, you know what I'm saying? Like mom, mom she doesn't want to spank you, so she'll come in and do a little tap, and you're like, oh, it hurts so bad, so you don't get hit again, right? And then my dad, though, when he hits you, there was no, like, you, you couldn't control the whale that came out of your mouth after that. My dad spanks you, and it's just like an eruption of just, like, pain and terror and uh, sheer fear of the awe of death. So dad would spank me, but here's what he would do. As soon as he spanked me, and it wasn't this, it was, it was this right here. It was like a, he would take like a couple steps, like doom, 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 boom. As soon as he did that, as soon as he did that, he would grab me in his arms. And he'd say, I love you so much, Elijah. I love you. Now, there's something weird that goes on in your mind as a kid when that happens. You're like, do you though? Like, do you? How much do you love me, dad? You know, how much do you... But, but he always made sure that when he disciplined me, it was connected to relationship. When he disciplined me, it was connected to love. When, when he disciplined me, and it was going to hurt me, and he knew it, when he disciplined me, it was immediately followed by an affirmation of his love and care and concern for my life. God is the exact same way. When he brings discipline or correction into your life, it can be painful. But he always follows it up by making sure that we know that discipline is coming because we are his children. Because he loves us. And it's not often easy to bring those two together in the moment. But when we look back, we can say, that's a good thing. Healthy discipline is all about relationship. And God's discipline comes from a place of love. And, and this, this is what it says in, in verses 9 and 10 of what we read. And this is so important because often we step back and we're like, okay, God disciplines me. Why couldn't God just let me know he's my dad by giving me more money? It's like, what if God is like, as soon as you're my child, I'm just going to give you a million dollars. First of all, we'd have way more Christians in the world probably if that were the case. Why couldn't God just do that? Or like if all the, all the sons and daughters of God just got superpowers. Wouldn't that be amazing? Like God could in so many different ways show us that we're his child. But here's what he does. He disciplines us. Why does he do this? Verse 9. We've all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? Now this verse 10 is key. They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that or so that with the result that we may share in his holiness. God disciplines us so that we may share his holiness. What is God's holiness? It is the essential nature and character of God. It is his moral character, his excellence. It is what he does out of who he is that is perfect. That's his holiness. And when he disciplines us, he's doing it so that we can share in that. Not that we become on our own holy, but we share in the holiness that God has, and it becomes part of our life. What are we talking about here? We're talking about character transfer. 
When discipline comes, discipline is character transfer. God wants us to experience discipline so that we learn more what it looks like to live like he wants us to live. God doesn't discipline us just, just to have fun with it, just to play with it. He's not sitting up zapping people with lightning bolts. That's not who God is. He disciplines us because it's for our good, because without discipline, we won't be able to share in his holiness. And th this is so important because a lot of us are going through some hard times. I know in this room, and there's a lot of people I don't know in this room going through hard times too, there's a lot of us facing challenges, health challenges, financial challenges, relationship challenges, challenges mentally, challenges going on. We're facing challenges. And we often want to look at those and say, hey, that's, that's just because God's not with me. Or we might say, where is God in this? I want you to know today, if you're going through hardship, God is right there with you. And he's using that hardship to help make you holy. He wants some character transfer to take place. He looks at your character and he says, I need you to grow up. I need you to develop in a certain way. So I'm going to discipline you so that you can look more like me. I'm going to discipline you so you can look more like me. This is, this is exactly why parents discipline their kids. Parents discipline their kids for one of two reasons. Because they want their kids to look like them or they want their kids to not look like them, right? If, if they turned out well, they want their kids to look like them. If they're like, hey, I, I didn't turn out like I wanted to, you discipline your kids so they don't look like you. And God is the same way. He disciplines us so that we can look like him. Now, often when I'm going through something, I want to see, I want to see the exact way that what I'm going through is helping me. I want to be able to point and be like, I went through that so that I got that. I don't know if this is a video game thing built into me, like achievements, unlocking achievements or what. But in life, we want to see, I go through this, I get this. That's not how life works, though. That's not how discipline works. Often, we can't see the connection between what we go through and what God wants to do. But we have to go through it anyway and submit to it and trust him. It's like growing up. There's a lot of stuff we did. I look back. In your family, did you ever have things that were really important in your family? And then you look back and you're like, why was that so important? Uh, this, this happens to me. I look back and uh, one of the things was pine cones. Never throw pine cones. That, that was like a rule we had. It was one of those golden rules. Like it was just built in. It was like emblazoned on all of our hearts. Don't throw pine cones. Now, now you think, okay, that's just kind of a good principle in general. Don't throw pine cones at people. Like that's how you don't make friends is throwing pine cones at them. But for us, it was more than that. It was like you never throw. And the reason why is because one of my mom's cousins had lost an eye because of a pine cone being thrown. And so like we, we had this clear rule, don't throw pine cones. The other, the, other, the other clear rule we had was you never ride a bike without shoes on. And I'm starting to realize all these, all these rules are connected with gruesome incidents because we knew, I don't even know these are real people, but we, we knew of someone who lost their big toe because they got caught in the chain. And so it's like if you ever saw a sibling without shoes on while they were riding their bike, you're like, you idiot, get off the bike and put some shoes on. You always had to wear shoes. Uh, another thing we did, whenever you answered the phone in my house, you couldn't say whatever you wanted to say. You always had to say, Friedemann Residence. Now, you can imagine a five-year-old trying to get those two words out together. Friedemann Residence. Those are hard words to say. You couldn't say, hello, this is the Friedemans. That'd be easy. You couldn't say, yo, what's up? You couldn't say any of that. It had to be Friedemann Residence. Why? I don't know. This is what we did. It's just like what we had <laughs> to do. Another thing I remember is is sometimes, like, if we were disrespecting my mom, and that was, that was why I got spanked the most, is disrespecting my mom, it, my dad would often say to us, you are temporary. Your mom is 
forever part of this family. You are going to leave someday. You can just be gone and it'll be okay. Your mom is always here. She's always going to be part of my house and you do not disrespect her. And you just kind of learn like my dad really could snuff me out any moment and he might if I don't respect my mom. And you learn some of these things. No, I can't, I look at those things and I can't tell you how each of those things helped me grow into the person my parents wanted me to be. What I can tell you is because they disciplined me when I was younger, by the time I was a teenager, and by the way, I, I was a pretty bad kid when I was younger, like headstrong, rebellious, disrespectful, but they beat it out of me and disciplined it out of me. So by the time I was a teenager, let me tell y'all, I was the perfect teenager. Like I was docile, I was respectful, I was hardworking, I was like, they, my parents trusted me so much that I had no rules. Like most people, you become a teenager and suddenly it's like the rules are unleashed in your life. I had no rules in my life. I had no rules in my life. I could go anywhere, anytime with anyone and my parents trusted me entirely. Why? Because they had transferred their character to me when I was younger. And so when I was here, I was more conservative on some stuff than my parents. You know, it's like, they were like, hey, you going to see a movie? I'm like, yeah, but only G-rated movies, mom and dad. Like, I was so conservative. I was, I was more conservative than they were. I'd watch them and be like, why are we watching this, mom and dad? Like, why are we doing this? I was so, because they had transferred their character into me. Now, here's where I'm going with all this. God wants to, in the same way, transfer his character into you. How does he do it? He disciplines us. God disciplines us. Discipline, what we just read says, never feels good in the moment. No one ever wakes up and thinks, man, I want more discipline in my life today. God, would you make life hard today so I can just, just become more? We don't think that. It's always hard in the moment. But unless you go through the discipline of God and receive it, then you will never, ever, ever become the man or woman God wants you to be. Now, this has got to shift our perspectives. Suddenly, suddenly, discipline is not a bad thing. It's not something you avoid. It's something you embrace. How, how do you embrace God's discipline? What does it look like to embrace what God is going to discipline us with? Here's what it looks like. And Jesus gives us a great example. It says in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, not the text we had in front of us today, but it said that Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Jesus, uh, this, this blows my mind. Jesus, the son of God, God and man together, Jesus learned obedience through what he suffered. Now, if Jesus has to learn obedience in, in his humanness through what he suffered, how much more do you and I need to learn the same thing? I don't know where you'd rank yourself spiritually, like if I like scale of one to 10, seven's always a safe answer. You know, it's not, not embarrassingly low, but not too high. You don't seem prideful. But like if we had to go around and rate, our, rate ourselves spiritually, I don't know where you would rank spiritually, but let me tell you, it's lower than Jesus. If Jesus had to learn obedience through what he suffered, how much more do you and I need to learn what it means to be a son or a daughter of God through what we're going through? How much more do we need to learn what it means to, to look like Jesus in our lives? How much more do you and I have to go through that? And so we need to learn what it means. We have to go through things in our lives. It's kind of like I was, I was trying to download something on a USB drive the other day. It's a big file. And, and there are not many times that I lose my temper in life. But trying to work with technology that doesn't work is, is one of those times. 
and I try to transfer it. And you guys have used USB drives probably before, transferred files. You just, it's, it's simple. They make computers for idiots. You just you click the file and you drop it, okay? So I click and drop, and it doesn't work. It gives you one of those rude messages like, error message 772B87123, you know, like, doesn't work. And you're like, what in the world does that mean? And I tried it a couple times, and it didn't work. I just, it was simple. I was trying to transfer a file to this little USB drive. And I tried it a couple times, and I finally realized I should have gone to the fount of all knowledge at the beginning of this, Google. So I, I searched it on Google. And on Google, it gave me the answer. It said, you need to reconfigure your USB drive. And like, what? Like, that's some straight Jason Bourne kind of stuff. How do you, do, how do you get on and do that? reconfigure a USB drive. So I went and looked up how to do this, and you gotta go to one of those places on your computer that you never go, because it has all of those scary things where you can destroy your computer if you do it wrong. And I got in there, and, and I reconfigured my USB drive. But I had to click through like seven warnings of like, are you sure you wanna do this? You could lose everything in life, including your family, if you do this wrong, or do you really wanna do it? I'm like, yes, I wanna lose my family, lose them, yes. Transfer the file, transfer it! And I hit it, then I reconfigured it. And suddenly, the file transferred without a problem. I was like, well, that was easy. I lost my family, but that was easy just to transfer the file. In the same way, discipline in our lives transfers God's character to us. Now, we got to make sure that we are configured appropriately to where we can receive it. Because there's a lot of us who go through hard stuff in life, and a lot of us don't come out better for the hard stuff. We come out worse for the hard stuff. We go through a period in life, we go through things in life, and we come out and we're like, man, that did not help at all. In fact, I'm way further back than I was before. So how do we set ourselves up? How do we configure our lives to where when discipline comes, it actually makes us more like Jesus instead of more like Satan? How do we do it? It comes down to one prayer. And it's a prayer that I know works because Jesus prayed it. Jesus, when he's, he's sitting in front of the Father, and he's about to have to go do something he doesn't want to do. It's going to be the greatest time of his suffering that he's going to experience. He prays a prayer. He says, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Father, not my will, but your will be done. If you are going through suffering, you're going through hardship, you're going through a time that is disciplined in your life, here's what your prayer should be. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Father, not, not my will, but your will be done. Father, I know right now I do something different with my finances. Like, if, if I were you, I'd give me more money right now. If I were you, God, I know that I'd, I'd do this differently, but not my will, your will be done. Father, I know if, if I were in charge, I would not make myself go through this sickness and this pain. I wouldn't make myself go through this constant trial. But Father, not my will, but your will be done. Father, I know if I were you, then I wouldn't make myself go through all these relationship challenges. I'd make it easy, I'd make it nice. But Father, not my will, but your will be done. When we pray that prayer, and that prayer is not just a prayer we pray before our church on Sunday, but it becomes part of our lives. Father, not my will, but your will be done. That's when the character transfer kicks in. That's when we're not on our own anymore and we're facing difficulty. But as we're going through life, we're saying, Father, not my will, but yours. And I trust you because you're my dad. You're my heavenly father. As we pray that prayer, then the character transfer takes place. Now, I want you to know, I, I really believe what I'm preaching today. I, I really believe it. And I know a lot of us are going through some stuff right now. Some of it's big. Some of it may be small, but it, it just feels really big in the moment. And we're going through stuff. 
And I am not at all naive enough to think that just praying one prayer is going to be a snap of the fingers and everything's back to normal. What I believe is this. As we pray that prayer and seek God in our hearts with that same concept, not my will, but your will be done, that God is going to do something amazing in your life. It says, the final verse we read, verse 11, says, after some time, discipline produces a harvest of righteousness and peace. What is righteousness? It's, it's living according to God's plan. It's what God wants you, how he wants you to live. And peace, we all know that. Peace with God, peace with other people, peace with ourselves. When we actually submit to God's discipline and we say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. As we seek God's, what he wants for us, the character transfer, and we just open our lives up to him no matter how hard life gets, then we are going to reap a harvest of righteousness and peace. And I know some of us are going through a hard time. I know it. You've been going through it. Some of us have for years have been going through a hard time. For some of us, the hard time kicked in a couple months ago. You are in a challenging place. I want to I just challenge you. On top of the, all the other hardship you're facing, I want to challenge you with this. Submit yourself to God. Pray, Father, not my will, but your will be done. And pray that not just today, not just right now, but pray that tomorrow when you wake up, Pray it tomorrow when, when you break for lunch and you're ticked off at your boss and you want to quit your job. Pray that tomorrow night when, when you're worn out by all the relationships around you, the relationships that are supposed to bring life but seem to just bring stress. Pray, Father, not my will, but your will be done. When you're at the doctor next week for the same condition you've been facing for a long time and you're just sick of it, pray, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Father, not my will, but your will be done. And then just wait and see. Wait and see what God does in you as you endure that challenge, as you, as you live through his discipline and seek God and say, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Wait and see what God will do in your heart and life. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you because you're a God who loves us, who treats us as your children, who doesn't treat us like we're illegitimate, or like we're someone else's kid, but you discipline us because you love us. And Father, I know that a lot of us right now are in this room are having to reinterpret what's happened in the last couple months, what's happened in the last couple years, the hardship we've gone through. We're having to reinterpret it now as your discipline, not because you're angry, but because you love us. Father, I pray for every person here who's going through the challenge, who's going through the suffering, who's going through the hardship, I pray that you would keep them strong in their faith right now. That you would keep them not, not just enduring, but coming back to you and growing in you. As you remain in prayers, anyone who'd be willing to raise up a hand right now and say, I'm going through the challenge. I'm going through what I consider discipline. I'm going through hardship. Anybody willing to raise up a hand and say, that's where I'm at? We got some hands up, a lot of hands up. Anybody else say, that's me. That's what I'm going through. Father, for these five or six ladies and three or four guys who've raised their hands today, Father, I thank you for their, their willingness to, to reinterpret their experience as your discipline. Father, would you encourage them today in their spirits that because they're being disciplined, they are your children. Because they're, they're going through it right now, it, it means that, that you're there for them. Or because they're facing the trial, it means that you are doing something imperceptible in their lives to make them holy, to help them share in your holiness. And Father, as you encourage them, I pray that you would give them the ability, just like every single one of us, that you'd give us the ability to pray, Father, not my will, but your will be done. 
Father, not my will, but Father, your will be done. Would you do that in us, God? Would you, would you allow us to pray that prayer and mean it? And not just pray it one time, but keep praying that prayer. Keep seeking you. And Lord, as we do that, we pray that across time, you would eventually bring about a harvest of righteousness and peace. Lord, I pray that over every person here who's facing the challenge and facing the trial, that you would bring righteousness and peace into their lives, that you would root them and ground them in your will and in your way and bring about your goodness in their lives. Father, give us the ability to pray that prayer, not my will, but your will be done. And we're trusting you as we pray that prayer to act on our behalf and do what we can't do. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.